0: Well, good morning, and welcome to this, our last theme talk of the week. How strange is that? It seems, I don't know, it seems to me a long time since our first one back on Monday, and I think you'll agree we've all been on a rich and varied journey. Margaret spoke to us about the intermingling of joy and sorrow, how they're woven fine, she gave us a recipe for a good day. I'm trying to make eye contact and I can't see her. Oh. <laughs> she gave us a recipe for a good day. Hear one good song. Read one good poem. See one good painting. And, if it can be arranged, utter some sensible remark.
1: <laughs>
0: she reminded us that the more woe we allow to touch us, the more joy we can encounter. Catherine talked about dealing with chronic illness, serious, life-altering surgery and love. She also told us she was basically a right little madam as a child, (laughs) which I wasn't expecting. And she reminded us too that adulting can be very, very hard. But she let us know too about the healing power of music and of the wholehearted capacity for joy that we could do with learning from children. Mostly, she reminded us to accept emotions without judgment. Claire took us on, frankly, a very frightening bear hunt. (laughs) But it all worked out in the end. She too talked of weather And she actually managed to call down a thunderbolt. (laughs) That's good going, Claire. She spoke of abiding love and of beauty among catastrophe. And she quoted, yes, we have a horrible history. Yes, we live in catastrophic times. Yes, the world is full of beauty. She reminded us of simple joys and of the weaving of history. Nancy reminded us that nature is never spent and that perhaps we love life so much because of its shortness, not despite it. She brought to us news of what it's like to be a right-thinking American in an America which is increasingly right-leaning in the wrong way and reminded us that we can act and that thinking and gathering is also acting. And me. Well, mainly I'm just grateful that none of the earlier theme speakers used any of my music, any of my hymns, or any of my readings. (laughs) But we've had a rich week, and I hope we're all feeling the benefit. But let's gather in prayer, and we're going to pray using the words of Linda Hart. Spirit of love and of life. We come together today, our hearts broken, aching, weeping. We risk our hearts in love for this beautiful and terrible world. And our siblings, flawed humanity. Ourselves, flawed too. Let love flow in and out of our broken hearts. Love that is stronger than hate. Love that is stronger than death. Love that can empower us in every moment to choose, to act, to answer the call. And if we are weary this day, this moment, May we rest where there is sweetness abundant and be restored and renewed. Let us be in a brief time of stillness with one another. And let our chalice be lit. <coughs> let me try and fetch some matches. we sing we're going to sing hymn number 106 in the purple book someone's actually going to have to give me a purple book it may not be familiar so Cody's thank you Cody's going to play it through for us once hymn number 106 nothing distress you Every morning this week, I assume you're all fed up of stories and don't want another (laughs) one. None of the children have said no, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading Oh, the Places You'll Go. I know it's very familiar to some of you. It's even very familiar to some of you who aren't born yet. (laughs) Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places, you're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know and you are the one who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care About some, you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not so good street. (laughs) And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsy as you. (laughs) (laughs) And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers. You'll soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. (laughs) Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say it, but sadly, it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun and slumping yourself is not easily done. (laughs) You will come to a place where the streets are not marked some windows are lighted but mostly they're darked a place you could sprain both your elbow and chin do you dare to stay out do you dare to go in how much can you lose how much can you win and if you go in should you turn left or right or right and three quarters or maybe not quite (laughs) or go around back and sneak in from behind simple it's not i'm afraid you will find for a mind maker upper to make up their mind. <laughs> you can get so confused that you'll start into race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place the waiting place. For people just <coughs> waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everybody is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jack, or a pot to boil, or a better break. That was Uncle Jake better break, (laughs) or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. With banner flip-flapping once more, you'll ride high, ready for anything under the sky. Ready because you're that kind of a guy, person. (laughs) Oh the places you'll go There is fun to be done There are points to be scored There are games to be won And the magical things you can do with that ball Will make you the winningest winner of all Fame You'll be as famous as famous can be With the whole wide world watching you win on TV Except when they don't Because sometimes they won't I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hack and cracks howl. Onward up many a frightening creek, Though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course. As you already know, you'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. (laughs) And will you succeed? (coughs) Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three-quarter percent guaranteed (laughs) kids you'll move mountains so be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Alley, van Allen O'Shea you're off to great places today is your day your mountain is waiting so get on your way Get on your way.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, you're welcome to stay, but there's more glitter where they're going.
2: Might need those hours today. be a bit rough
0: We'll carry on while Vita decides what she feels like doing I built my house by the sea not on the sands mind you, not on the shifting sand and I built it of rock a strong house by a strong sea and we got well acquainted the sea and I good neighbours not that we spoke much we met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance, but looking our thoughts across the fence of sand. Always the fence of sand, our barrier. Always the sand between. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came without warning, without welcome even. Not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine, less like the flow of water than the flow of blood. Slow, but coming. Slow, but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. And I knew, then, there was neither flight, nor death, nor drowning. That when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbours, well acquainted, friendly at a distant neighbours, and you give your house for a coral castle, and you learn to breathe underwater. Breathing Underwater by Sister Carol Bialek. There are copies of the poem on the door, on the door, by the door, for your way out. I love that poem. It is inspirational. And it sounds, it sounds moderately straightforward because, yes, we can all do that. We can all learn to cope, to adjust, to breathe in whatever situation we're in, except when we can't, because sometimes we can't. And yet we have to. We absolutely cannot, and we absolutely have to, but we absolutely cannot. It's one of the hardest things in life. Have to, can't, have to, can't. Last time I was here at Hucklow, earlier in the summer, I sat outside over there by the vegetable garden with some colleagues, and we talked. And we talked amongst the flowers in the warm afternoon sunshine, and we talked gazing at the hills in the sunshine in the distance and we talked on that bench over there with the combined smells of jasmine and manure in our noses it was one of those manure-y hut days I think the flower was jasmine I know the other smell was manure for the sake of this talk we're going to say it's jasmine but jasmine and poo and that's What we're dealing with, jasmine and manure. Jasmine and manure mingled. Sometimes we just get jasmine, sometimes it's just manure. Mostly it's both. What I desperately want to be able to say is well, The jasmine will always win, won't it? Let's concentrate on the jasmine and not worry about the manure. Let's let the glory of the jasmine shout down the ickiness of the manure. And eventually, through sheer will, there will only be jasmine. That would be a lovely theme talk, wouldn't it? And you might even believe me while the theme talk was going on. (laughs) Because life is flowers and sweet smells and glories and delight and a total blessing all the time. Except when it's not because sometimes it's not. But what do we do about that? How do we deal with the encroaching tide, the smell of manure, the pain, the depression, the awful things happening in the world and in our lives? Can we ignore them? Should we ignore them? Can we get ourselves into such a state of bliss that we no longer notice them? I used to be all about trying to do that, distraction, take your mind off it, get on with it. My mother firmly held that crying didn't solve anything and that you'll feel better if you get stuck in. That was my childhood mantra. You'll feel better if you get stuck in. Sometimes she was right, except when she wasn't because sometimes she wasn't. But if I knew I was heading for something sad, If I knew I was going to be on a train having just left someone and that it might make me cry I'd grab a book, a CD, anything, anything rather than feel that pain, acknowledge the tears. Sometimes it would work a bit, sometimes I would get stuck in and I would feel better and I wouldn't do the crying thing, yay, cheered up. But happy? No. I live, as do a lot of you I know, with depression. It's a thing. It's a thing that's there in my life. Generally, I don't see it as suffering from depression. I just mostly have depression. But that thing I talked about, that whole crying-doesn't-help-just-distract-yourself thing, I think that does cause suffering from depression. I am now, despite that upbringing, And by the way, if that's the worst I have to say about my upbringing, I'm not doing badly, and it is, and I'm not. I am now very keen on crying. I'm not going to go quite so far as to say it's a hobby. (laughs) But I am very good at it, and I'm pretty committed to the cause. I cry a lot. Not that pretty crying that I've always wanted to do where you're all (laughs) pale and wan and you're probably wearing a satin frock and you're weeping softly into a cotton hanky. I don't know why it's all about the fabric. And, you know, you've just got that one delicate teardrop and everybody falls in love with you. But it's that sploshy tears, snot, (laughs) actual howling until you get a headache kind of crying. It's very attractive. There is a website and a Facebook page called Reasons My Kid Is Crying. I don't know if you've seen it and I'm very torn about whether to advise you to go and look for it or not because I have two simultaneous responses to it. The first is, well, do you know what, maybe your child is crying because they're genuinely upset about something that matters to them even though it doesn't matter to you. And instead of dealing with them, you're taking a photo for strangers (laughs) to laugh at. And the second, of course, is, oh my God, that is so adorable. I'm just going to read all the rest of them now. But it made me think that we could probably all do something similar. Reasons myself is crying. And then, of course, I became a bit more aware of the reasons I cry. So here are some of them from the last few weeks Reasons that Unitarian minister is crying. They're in alphabetical order. (laughs) A couple at church want to renew their wedding vows before dementia makes it too hard for one of them. Barcelona. Bisexual erasure. Grenfell Tower. I hate my job. I have the worst case of gastroenteritis ever. I just feel like crying. I just reread his dark materials again, and it still ends in the same way. <laughs> I love my job. I'm just utterly rubbish at everything. I'm tired. I've just had a few phenomenal weeks of bonding with my ex wife, and now it's over. It's raining. Boo. It's raining. Yay. Mine and my brother's Christmas present sacks from 1972, probably, with our names on them in my dad's handwriting. My dog just woke up in the most adorable way ever and nothing he could do would ever displease me, ever. (laughs) My dog pooed under the table. My mother died. My mother's baby photos. My partner is the most amazing human ever, and I can't believe the fates collided so that we met. And why, oh, why is he so kind to me all the time? My partner <laughs> is the most irritating person ever, and I can't believe the fates collided so that we met. And why, oh, why is he so horrible to me? <laughs> Someone attacked a music venue full of young teenagers. Someone attacked a music venue full of young teenagers and a city ran to help. Someone attacked a music venue full of young teenagers and the retaliation was a bigger, louder, better party. Someone told me I'm the reason they became a Unitarian. The bread has gone (laughs) mouldy. There is a Facebook thread on the page about the estate I grew up on all about my mother and I didn't even know. There was a tissue in a pocket in the washing machine and now my life is over. (laughs) Transphobia. We just left our dog in an entirely empty house for about 20 minutes, and as we left, we could hear him crying. I don't know what your list would be like. I suspect for some of you it would be similar. A mix of big things, small things, serious things, frankly silly things. And I'm just going to give you 30 seconds just to think of things that have made you cry in the last little while. I'm not going to ask you to share. Just... Think of some of those things while I have a drink of water. (laughs) Having looked at my list, I decided that what I needed, because some of them didn't seem worth crying about, really, so I decided I needed some form of working out which things are worth crying about and which things aren't, which things aren't, so I made one. If you look under your seats, you will find a copy of it. If you're not very bendy, ask someone else to pick your copy of it up. So it's your flowchart for deciding whether something is worth crying about. So there you go Kate McKenna's flowchart To decide whether something is worth your tears And to be very clear It goes for big girls and grown men Just as much, if not more, than anyone else But it is true though If something makes you cry If something makes you feel like crying It's worth crying about Some things are worth more tears than others, of course, but that doesn't mean that you'll give them more tears. Now, I've said I cry a lot. Mostly, I like to think I cry... I I found myself thinking I like to think I cry for an average length of time. Where is that study? Where is that study? But I like to think I cry for an average length of time at that time when there were tissues in the washing machine, about three hours, I had to go to bed. I suspect there was more at play there than shredded tissue in the washing machine, but still, prompted by that, I ended up taking to my bed in tears for three hours. But then you get those days, those days that increasingly, I know that a lot of us get, Those days where we can't do anything but cry. Prompted by almost nothing but because of almost everything. I get those days. Fortunately, they tend to come when I can afford to get them. And they're horrible. Those days you can't get up, can't get showered, can't get dressed because everything is just awful. Possibly you're hungry but it must be more than that and the food's too far away. And secretly, maybe, you don't want to cheer up. Because, and this is something you're not gonna see on a Hallmark card, but misery, I think, can be really good for us. And after one of those genuine howling in bed, my life is terrible days, I feel better for a while. Normally for months, fall apart for a while and you can come back together. Or that's how it works for me. That one day of utter despair, of utter convincement that I'm rubbish, my life is rubbish, I have no friends, and okay, I have friends, but they're rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) They're sometimes necessary. Actually, on one occasion a few years ago, I was having one of those days. It was a Saturday. I don't know what had prompted it, but it was probably something more like the bread is mouldy than anything big and there I was in bed life falling apart and I got a text from a friend asking me quite firmly if you can ask firmly to join her for lunch and what was my internal reaction was it oh see I'm wrong I'm loved I'm wanted someone just helped me out of this pit hurrah was it B well I'll feel better if I get stuck in. Mm. Or was it C? For God's sake, Helen. We'll call her Helen. It was Helen. (laughs) If you don't mind, I am extremely busy here being utterly miserable, having no friends and nothing to do and no one to do it with. So will you please just back off? (laughs) (laughs) On that occasion, actually, I did go... Because it can't have been one of those terribly despairing days. And we had a nice day. Uh, It turns out what I needed then was to do something. And that worked. It can work. Except when it doesn't. Because sometimes it doesn't. It does argue a bit against my point, that, I suppose, which is that sometimes we need to let the bad days happen. We need to let the bad stuff happen. We need to accept that there is manure as well as jasmine, and that we try to ignore the manure at our peril. I mean, we can. We can ignore it. We can spray it with air freshener and just not face it. Occasionally, we might have to do that temporarily. We have to get on with doing our job and facing the world, or feeding the children. My favourite line in that very well-known Ariah Mountain Dreamer piece, The Invitation, is... I want to know if you can get up after the night of despair and do what needs to be done to feed the children. A few weeks ago, it started the night of the general election. I had a bout of gastroenteritis. Now, I'm sure most of you have had gastroenteritis, yeah. What you need to know is that mine was worse. (laughs) you who know me on Facebook probably won't even have picked up on the fact that I was ill because I don't like to make a fuss. (laughs) (laughs) But I was ill, beautifully, pale and wan, and like some sort of angelic vision. If you imagine Beth in Little Women, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't like that, it was disgusting. It was a pretty mild case of gastroenteritis. (laughs) Never quote me on that, it was terrible. (laughs) It knocked me out for a couple of days and it took me another few to properly get over it. But it was just one of those bugs. It was one of those bugs that comes up from nowhere and fells you and you can't do anything about it. There's no treatment that'll speed it up. There's no treatment necessary because it's not dangerous for most people. There's basically nothing you can do but sit it out, be miserable, and wait for it to pass. And that can be how misery works too. There are days you have to pull it together, but there are days you have no choice but to let the misery take over. And sometimes there are longer periods. A few years ago, my heart was broken, just I've said before, I say quite frequently that if you have had a heartbreak you know that it's more than just a turn of phrase. This thing that happened, this relationship, this marriage that ended, broke me into pieces. It felt for a few weeks as though life was never going to be okay again, as though I was never going to be whole, as though I'd failed. Mostly, it felt as though all the atoms that made me up were just going to drift apart, as though my essential self was going to separate, just float away until there was no more substance. I never completely fell apart, but drifting apart did feel like a real possibility. It didn't happen, my atoms, remained intact they knitted back together perfectly well it took time it took pain on both our parts it took deep strong friendships and it took the fact that none of my friends once told me to cheer up or that it wasn't so bad and it took a knitting project for norwich pride and it took a good friend reading a distressed facebook post and taking me out with her dog And it took days of crying on my parents' sofa while my dad just kept throwing blankets on me. And it took people holding themselves close to me, but not trying to mend me. It took, in fact, what heartbreak always takes. Time and love and patience and the knowledge that, despite how it felt, it would pass. Was it for the best, that heartbreak? Yes. That relationship was over. It didn't fail, it ended in a way which hurt us both very deeply. But it just ended. And now, a few years later, my former wife is one of my very dearest friends. People say that and I've never really believed them before, but it's true. We have a knowledge of each other going back years and years, tempered with distance and time. We have a knowledge of how each other works, tempered with not having to deal with it daily. We can see all the good in each other again. We can see the laughter we shared and the love we shared and the rhythms that developed that still last. I can admire her courage and strength as she ploughs through something awful. She helped hold me together when my mother died, we helped hold each other together and we physically held each other as my mother died. We also have massive sympathy for each other's new partners. (laughs) she met my new partner he was late he got lost he was late and I was phoning him I was on the phone to him trying to explain to him I was really nice about it (laughs) I was just pointing out that he was late and that we were waiting and that it was cold I was ever so nice and when I finished that phone call Rowan my ex-wife just went oh god I'm glad I'm not on the other end of that anymore (laughs) I buy her loads of soft toys now because she doesn't live in my house (laughs) but it took massive pain to get there so much pain both our hearts broke but that heartbreak that total misery and near destruction bore good fruits it created a whole new family and it is family a few weeks ago I went for a massage with some friends and after we'd been there a while the woman doing the, it was a Reiki thing, woman in Pottergate, very good, uh, the woman doing the massage said after a while when we'd been chatting, so how exactly do you all know each other? <laughs> And we kind of laughed, and maybe if I'm honest, playing it up a bit for queerer than now. I went, well, this is my ex-wife, and that's her wife, and that's my future husband. <laughs> <laughs> and the woman, God bless her, just said, I could tell you a family.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: that beauty, and it is a beauty, came out of real pain. And it took years to get there for all of us. In fact, it took first my father's death and then my mother's death for those bonds to be so fully forged. There were layers of pain, layers of tears and misery, but they built something new and good and whole. We can fall apart. We have to fall apart sometimes and then we come back together again. I've had for a long time a vision of that self that I was after the breakup, fragmenting and falling apart and being held loosely cradled by my friends, by my family, by God. Not put back together, just held so that the parts didn't fall too far apart. And the wonder, the miracle, is that that tender painful thing that happened to me and the tender, healing love which helped it is happening all the time. Someone is doing all of that stuff now. It's a part of who we are. That misery in itself is a wonder. A while ago, it was here again, I heard this poem by Tish Han, written after a bombing in the Vietnam War. I hold my face in my two hands No, I'm not crying I hold my face in my two hands To keep the loneliness warm Two hands protecting Two hands nourishing Two hands preventing my soul from leaving me in anger I wish I'd known the poem at the time, but I think I already knew what it meant. I'm going to read it again, and I invite you to hold your own face in your own two hands whilst I do so. I hold my face in my two hands. No, I'm not crying. I hold my face in my two hands to keep the loneliness warm. Two hands protecting, two hands nourishing, two hands preventing my soul from leaving me in anger. There's a copy of that as well on the table. But so far, I've talked about turbulence, but perhaps not so much about finding joy and resisting despair. I can't honestly do the second one, because for me, what really works is not resisting despair, but knowing it's not true despair that I have ever felt. Because despair, literally, is an absence of hope. And I'm fortunate that I've never been in that position of having no hope. My moods might be turbulent, they might be near the surface, but they've never yet reached that depth, and it's a thing I'm very grateful for. Emotional states, moods, and I'm not the first to have mentioned this this week, are like weather. They arrive, they affect us to a greater or lesser degree, and for good or bad, and then they pass. Do I find joy? I think so. I don't know. It's such a hard thing to pin down. I'm pretty emotionally literate. I feel my feelings. I talk about my feelings all the time. (laughs) I've banged on about the crying, but I do also laugh a lot. Laughing with friends is a massive joy to me, and sometimes it's not that different from crying. I think I'm lucky that I'm quite good at both crying and laughing. Hilarious pee-myself laughter and outrageous pee-myself weeping. (laughs) Not actually. The odd thing is that sometimes I can do both at once, but that I can't go straight from one to the other. I can't go from despair to joy in one step. I can't do it. I wanted to talk about what brings me joy when I'm feeling anything but joyful, what brings me joy on those lying in bed, I have no friends and my friends are rubbish days. And I realised that not only do I not do anything to try to bring myself joy on those days, but that for me, it would be wrong to. But when things are nearly okay, that's when I can start looking at what brings joy. And in thinking of those things, I realised that a lot of them basically make me seven. Seven. Seven years old. So here's some of the things that have brought me joy in the last little while. Again, they're in alphabetical order. You may recognise some of them. A couple at church want to renew their wedding vows. (laughs) Being at the chapel door and seeing the lantern-lit procession approach up the drive. I love my job. Mine and my brother's Christmas present sacks from 1972. My dog just woke up in the most adorable way ever. My ladybird shoes, you can see them later. They were really expensive, Joy. My mother's baby photos. Playmobil it does if i need to play my way out of a bad mood or an awkward dispute with someone i choose random playmobil characters that's why they're with me today in case i fall out with any of you and i let them have that conversation and the one that's me always wins <laughs> I didn't bring my favourite piece of Playmobil is my Playmobil Noah's Ark. It's massive. I couldn't bring it. I got it as a present for finishing my Masters and somebody said to me when I said what I'd got, oh, the Sunday school are going to love that. (laughs) (laughs) No. Some pieces of music. I'm not going to say which because it changes. Someone attacked a music venue full of young teenagers and the retaliation was a bigger, better party. The fact that I'm becoming a dog-bore and unashamed of it. (laughs) There was a brief and wordless hug earlier in the week as I passed someone by the back door. There's this, there's summer school, this is a joy. Understandings of new forms of family. They were in alphabetical order, but I may have jiggled how I said them so that that one ended up (laughs) Because that one, the family's thing, is a continual source of joy to me. My family is shaped oddly, really. My genetic family is small and rapidly getting smaller. There's one cousin in my generation who has a child, and she's rampantly encouraging her to have one as well, so there's somebody to get the family Bible. But she's resisting so far. But my family is wider than that. I mentioned before that it includes my ex-wife and her wife. And it definitely does. My in-laws, my other, other half with whom I'm in what's called a queer platonic romance, that's family. My former flatmate, you don't live as friends for six years through choice and not become family. There are others too. My definition, when I was trying to think, when does somebody become my family? is that they're the people I'd quite like to have with me when I'm dying. That's how I think of family. I want you there when I'm dying. When my mother was dying, a week or so before it happened, she said that she didn't really want visitor visitors, mug mugs. She didn't want visitor visitors, she just wanted family. But what she meant by that was me, my brother, our partners and my ex-wife, because they were family. As an aside, don't tell me that you can use age as an excuse for even the mildest homophobia. My 83-year-old mother knew that my ex-wife was her family. It's not the new formed families themselves, or not just that. It's that understanding. It's that woman doing the massages who just went, yeah, I knew you were family. No questions. Another joy-bringing piece of childishness is this. Mm (laughs) Oh. <laughs> this is Smoky Olive Dinosaur <laughs> She's actually part of a family herself She's the original and best But there's also Smoky Olive Tiny-saur Who's smaller Smoky Olive On-My-Sidosaurus Rex And Smoky Olive Grandosaur I was over 47 when I was bought all of these but Now, <laughs> apart from being, you will admit, outrageously cute Smoky Olive Dinosaur does have a more important role. Smoky Olive Dinosaur. And it's a she. (laughs) She does have an important role. My partner has Asperger's. Not to a massive degree, but to a noticeable degree. I have a partner who is Asperger's, is Catholic, and is a man. My life has changed. (laughs) And I live in the North. Sometimes because of his Asperger's just sometimes he can't really do that emotions thing as fully as he'd like to. Mostly he can and I do have to say he is a loving and compassionate person and a part of perhaps it's his Asperger's perhaps it's just part of who he is is that even when his own emotions aren't fully clicked in he knows that I have them. So on those lying in bed, I have no friends days. He never tries to shift or alter things. He would not dream of trying to cheer me up. But when he doesn't have the tools himself to comfort me, because comfort and cheering two entirely different things, he just brings me a dinosaur and goes away, <laughs> which is best all round. Because when you're hysterically upset. That's not a time when someone having Asperger's is who you want around you, or not, <laughs> not. As an aside, I also have some advice for those times. surely you've all been told at some point to cheer up. Oh, do, you yeah. uh, do you want my advice? don't thump them. (laughs) I think that's the only thing to do with that advice is give yourself credit for not thumping them. If they go for the extended version and end it with, love, it might never happen, then... You're on your own. Sometimes my total commitment to emotional stuff and Aid's slight tendency to not fully understand them can get a bit problematic. He's given me permission to talk about this, though because he's got Asperger's, when I asked if he could, he went, well, yeah, why wouldn't you, if it's true? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm going to be telling 762 strangers stuff about you that might not show you in the best light, and he went, (laughs) There is a rich theme, actually, of spiritual and social stuff to mine about communication with people with Asperger's, because I think it's healthier than how most of us do it. (laughs) But a few months ago, I was called back from Bury to Norwich because my mother was dying, one of those... Emergency calls, the ones you fear, the get on the next train, cool. And I did that. It was late. I couldn't get all the way back to Norwich by train, so I went to Peterborough, and he picked me up. I managed the journey. I got to Peterborough, I got in the car. Obviously, I started crying the minute I got in the car. He was out putting the bags in the back. And when he got in the car and saw and heard the sobbing, he went, oh, what's the matter? (laughs) I love that man and sometimes it's just. As well. he did realise that what he'd said was inappropriate. But one of the things you tend to think about someone with Asperger's until you live with one, also you really hope they're going to be tidy. No. One of the things you can tend to think is that emotion is missing. It's not. My partner sobbed through whistle down the wind. He cries when he hears a recording of his late wife singing. He cries when I do sometimes. Once Once he cried because we were having a horrible row, and once he cried just because he loves me. (laughs) But he also does this thing, and it's fascinating and lovely, where like a very small child, he laughs when something pleases him, and not just when it's funny. It's a thing we tend to stop doing after the age of about two babies laugh when they're happy we only laugh when we're amused those times i've seen it has been when he was driving once over the cat and fiddle and once over the snake pass he just laughed because it was beautiful i wish we hadn't lost that skill joy is a funny thing i'm going to give you literally a minute to maybe chat to your neighbor if you feel like it or just think to yourself about the things that bring you joy silly things big things serious things trivial things go I know we could talk about that well we could talk about it for a week couldn't we? (laughs) but what about that big question I've discussed distress and depression and sadness and we've talked about what brings us joy there was such a buzz but what about walking your path with joy I really struggled with this one (coughs) partly because such a big subject and partly because when I think of the word joy I think of a person not an emotion this is who I think of when I think of Joy. This is Joy. You might not be able to see. From the fr- I'm going to stick her on the table. You can have a look later. I've got the original photo as well. kind of overdone the pictures of Joy. <coughs> this is my beloved friend Joy. It's, it's so fortunate that was her name with whom I lived for six years and who was in my life for another three or four after she moved into residential care. Joy died in 1999, aged 54, and I still miss her. She was born in 1945, though the actual date got lost. She was probably a GI baby. She was fostered as a young child and then went into residential care at some stage. At about 35, she moved into a house in Norwich, which was the shared home of people with learning difficulties. And people without. And I moved in a few years later. It wasn't a professional thing. It was a house share. And it was one of the most satisfying, happy, frustrating, communal times of my life. And it was Joy who was at the centre of it. I can honestly say my love for Joy ran and runs as deeply as my love for anyone else. Now, those of you who are near enough will see from the picture that Joy had Down syndrome. Being born with Downs in 1945 was very different from being born with Downs now. Life expectancy was short. Joy did phenomenally well. Now, you'll have heard the clichés about people with Downs, and some of them are true. That thing about people with Downs being utterly affectionate and loving and loyal, that's true. Except when they're not. (laughs) Because sometimes they're not. It is utterly true... That there were days when the affection thrown at me by Joy was what made me keep going. When knowing somebody loved me that much was all I needed. That Joy, waiting in the bay window for me to come home, night after night, and shrieking with delight when she saw me, was everything I needed. It's also utterly true that there were days when Joy's anger or despair or sadness or tiredness Well, what made me need to go and shut myself in my room. She didn't care about minding other people's feelings, about putting a brave face on it, saying the right thing, or any of that nonsense. Joy felt what Joy felt, and she let you know. She also let you know what she thought about you. On one occasion at my parents' house for Christmas, my my family, as everybody did, adored adored Joy. She shushed my mother by going, shh, (laughs) and then informed the rest of us she's a nice lady yak too much (laughs) I have my half of my jeans belong to that nice lady (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite memories of joy and it's a favorite now that it's a memory and that I'm not there in that moment is of one night when a small group of us was walking round the corner from our house to the pub. We lived in an area which then was used a lot by sex workers. And a couple of minutes from home, we passed a woman, as you did quite often then, waiting for business. Most of us did that thing where you pass somebody, nod, grunt, and carry on, but not Joy. No. I'm gonna say a word for which I apologize, but A, it's a quote, and B, someone's already used it. Joy stopped in front of this woman. And looked at. I don't know why I'm looking at you. (laughs) 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 To pick up and looked her down very, very slowly, head to toe, and then looked her up again, very, very slowly, toe to head, and went, "You old whore!" (laughs) 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 In the following two seconds, I'd planned my funeral. (laughs) But this woman, and I bless her eternally for this, just looked and said with no real emotion but a shrug, "Hmm, she ain't wrong. (laughs) Joy had an obsession with jam sandwiches. She'd make them, she'd eat them, she'd make them, she'd eat them, she'd make them, she'd hide them. (laughs) And that obsession was as wholehearted as everything else. One time we were out in Pizza Express, and she decided that what she wanted was a jam sandwich. (laughs) So I pointed out all logical like, because yes, I was trying to reason with a woman with Down syndrome and the beginnings of dementia. I pointed out, this is a pizza restaurant. I actually mean, what kind of pizza do you have? But no, Joy did not want any sort of pizza. She wanted a jam sandwich. And within ten seconds, the only thing between joy and death from broken heart was that bloody jam sandwich. She wasn't putting it on. She did have a flair for the dramatic, but no, that sandwich, that was the only thing worth being on this earth for. And the total grief when we were telling her she couldn't have a a jam sandwich. Total. If you want a story of the best service ever, the waiter popped next door but one bread and jam and made her a sandwich. <laughs> but those are nice stories about a friend I love, but what have they got to teach us well? If you ever see me wearing a WWJD bracelet, it's not inconceivable that it would mean what would Jesus do, but it's also not impossible that it would mean what would joy do. Uh-huh. Having told you some of the things, it's not a que- it's not an answer you can always apply because if I hide jam sandwiches under your bed, That won't go down well. But here's what you can learn from joy. Whatever you feel, feel it. Don't apologise for it. Don't pretend your anger and heartbreak and fear aren't real, but don't pretend your love and your delight and your joy aren't real either. Don't let the fact that yesterday you hurt get in the way of the fact that today you don't hurt. Don't even let the fact that 10 minutes ago you hurt get in the way of the fact that right now you don't hurt don't worry at all about how you're meant to feel about something just go with how you do feel about it and do not definitely do not allow anyone else to stop you either that's what i learned from walking part of my life path with joy That joy, like joy, is complicated and confusing and frustrating and changeable, that joy will surprise you, that joy will weave itself around you and within you and beyond you, and can be ever-present, even when you can't see it. Joy used to wait in the downstairs bay window for me. I'm going to allow myself a moment of mawkish here because there will come a day when you will find joy waiting for you. It might be one day, it might be lots of days, it might be fleeting, it might last, and you may not know it until you're there with it. It might be hard to see that it is joy because it might feel complicated, it might be disguised, but there will always be joy somewhere. I wasn't going to get through the whole of this talk without mentioning Julian of Norwich, was I? I used to be able to see her house from my kitchen window. Julian did not lead a life of ease. She lived through a time of turbulence, three outbreaks of the plague. She lived at a time of war and dissent and terror. But God sent her visions of calm and acceptance and utter beautiful joy. And although they've all lasted, I think we all know her most famous one. And God showed me that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. What more joy do we need? What more do we want? All manner of thing shall be well. Shall be. Not is right now, but shall be. All shall be well. Life is hard and ruthless and difficult and painful and full of tears. Except when it's not. Because sometimes it's not. Amen. 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 Let's sing. We're going to sing about hobgoblins and about not letting them thwart us. We're going to sing with gusto. We're going to sing as if we mean it. And particularly, we are going to sing with whatever pronoun we choose. <laughs> Green Book, hymn number 150, Pilgrim's Hymn. Hymn number 150, and I don't have a book. Unless you've got special responsibilities, in which case, to your stations. <laughs> I'd quite like that, to your stations. <laughs> we end with the words of Norbert Charpek. It is worthwhile to live and fight courageously for sacred ideals. Oh, blow ye evil winds into my body's fire. My soul you'll never unravel. Even though disappointed a thousand times or fallen in the fight and everything would seem worthless, I have lived amongst eternity. Be grateful, my soul. My life was worth living. Be grateful, my soul. My life was worth living. Amen. Amen.